All right. We um, we started last week talking about prayer. We're in Ephesians six, and we're looking at this verse here in Ephesians six eighteen through twenty. We're just about done with this book, um, but he he ends by saying a few words about prayer, and and I just um, I, I wanted to to say more than I said last week uh, about about prayer. Last week I shared a little bit of my own history with prayer, um, most of which was imaginary, and um, and a lot of my misunderstandings and assumptions over 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 years of being a Christian. And then and then uh, I shared a few things of of what I believe are more real things that have. I've come to see with a little more clarity over the last few years, um, and and again, all of that that discussion on prayer was triggered by this statement that Paul makes in Ephesians chapter six. So I'm just going to read. Let me read this verse here, and then we'll we'll jump in. Uh, Ephesians six eighteen. He says, "Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful." To this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance might be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. Um, let me just say a few things as a way of uh, bringing us back onto the same page, uh, reminding us what we talked about last week, and then I'm going I'm to pick up where I left off. I mentioned last week about how sooner or later, if if we're really open to knowing the Lord, sooner or later the cross is going to demand your understanding of prayer. Um, the cross comes knocking on the door of your blind, unrenewed mind, and it demands that you surrender your ideas about prayer. And, and it's not just prayer. It's everything. You know, the cross demands that you surrender your ideas about everything. The cross demands that you surrender yourself. The cross demands that it's the complete surrender of your life together with all your ideas. But, 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 but the spirit of truth, it's kind of like the spirit of truth approaches one, one area at a time or, or two at a time, but not everything all at once uh, because we don't permit him to do that. I don't think it's, that's because it's not his desire it's just because it takes a lot of it takes if, if you're like me it takes about 15 or 20 brick walls brick wall collisions before I, I actually stay down and, and, and ask the Lord is something wrong here is there something that I am not even comprehending correctly uh, do I need to start over again this seems impassable this way and it always, they always the, the case is that the brick wall is something of myself. It's something that I've brought into Christ in my imagination that doesn't even really have any relevance in him at all. Um, but anyway, the cross comes up to our the door of our heart, or Christ, you know, Christ as the cross, Christ as that end, Christ as that division. And he knocks and he says, can I destroy this room? I destroy everything in here, and 
and, and we usually want him to, to, you know, garnish the room with a few decorations, but uh, he doesn't come to do that. He comes to destroy everything that is in his land that is not him. And we're, we're quick to allow the cross to come into places where, where, where we have condemnation or confusion or questions or, you know, but, but wherever we think we know something or we have something, we don't really let him visit with, with the, uh, as Revelation says, with the sword of his mouth. I love that. Uh, that's Revelation 2.16. Uh, that's, that's just some figurative language. Um, the sword of his mouth. In another scripture, it talks. It, it pictures Jesus riding on a, a white horse with a sword literally coming out of his mouth. I like that language because that's, that's always what his word is like. Uh, Hebrews 4 says a very similar thing about the word of the Lord. Um, it, it's, it's a, it's, his word comes like a sword that, that chops away, cuts off, destroys everything that isn't Christ. And um, and so what I'm saying is that we have to allow this cut. If you're going to grow in any way that is truly, truly real, is spiritually speaking, uh, we must let him speak to us with the the sword of his mouth. And 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 we have to give him the place in our soul to cut away everything, including. And I'm getting back to including our concept of prayer. Uh, why? Why do we have to let him chop away our... Con well, for the same reason you have to let him cut away everything is because it has you as its source and you as its understanding and you as everything. But, but even very specifically, Paul tells us in Romans that we do not know how to pray. He says we do not know how to pray as, as we ought. And that's not because we don't know the right terminology. It's not... It's not because we need to be instructed in methods of prayer uh, or, or even in the right things to pray about. That's not the issue. He, he's not saying we don't know what to pray for. He says we don't know how to pray. Um, the problem is a lot serious, a lot more serious than, than just lacking a, a, the correct method or instruction. The problem is that, one, we don't even know what prayer is. Two, we don't know the name the life, the nature of God in which we must learn to pray, praying in His name. And three, by nature, we live and think and pray in our own name. So we got a serious problem here. And that's what I was trying to describe last week. And without recognizing that problem, without letting the Lord show us the nature of that problem, then prayer is most of all just the verbalization of my uh, desires. Um, you know, and I wasn't saying all that last week so that, that we would stop praying. I was saying all that so that we would let the Spirit of God deal with our hearts about the nature and reality of prayer. And we all desperately need to do that. He's, you know, he, he, the fact of the matter is that unless you uh, allow the cross to progressively destroy our name, our nature, our life, our, our thought, then, then we never realize the greatness of praying in His name. It's just, it's just an idea. What we do, as we've all heard it a million times probably in our lives, what we do is we pray in our name, we pray in our life, our nature, our desires, our appetites, whatever, our world. And then we put his name at the end of our prayers. And then we call that praying in his name. His name is not something that mixes with our name. You understand what I mean by that? It's an entirely distinct and perfect name. It's a name that he will share with you. He will write that name on you. He will, he will reveal in you that name. 
It's a name that he'll give you to pray in, but it's not your name. And it doesn't mix with your name. In fact, your natural name, so to speak, is enmity with him. And you know, of course, I mean, I don't know, I, don't, I try not to speak in Christianese. Uh, I know that I do, but just because some things just become familiar concepts and ideas to us. When I say name, I mean who you are, not, not your title, not, you know, Billy. That's not, you know, the name of the Lord, the name is the sum total of who you are and how you are recognized. It's who you are. So experiencing the inward working of the cross is, is not an option if we're going to learn to, uh, to pray in his name. Christianity uh, is an experience of the life of Christ. You've all heard me say so many times that Christianity is Christ. Christianity is life, and that life is the life of the Son of God, and, 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 and that life has a nature, has a character, and a will, and a mind associated with that life. It's, it, in other words, that life comes complete with its own name. The name is what God understands the life to be. The name is how God recognizes his son. And when we pray in that name, we pray according to the mind and the nature and the life of Christ. When we pray in his name, we pray as those who have no other name. And, and that's what it means to pray in faith. It's the same thing. James talks about the prayer of faith and, and how it is effective. Jesus also talks about praying in faith. In our Bible, sometimes the, the Greek word for faith is translated belief, um, which isn't a crime. It's just, unfortun unfortunately, it conjures up a different image for, for many of us. When we think of praying and, and believing, we think of trying really hard to imagine that we're going to get the thing that we're praying for. You know, we, think of, we think of trying hard not to doubt but the prayer of faith doesn't work that way. It's not what it is. It, it, it's, it's, it's a prayer in a different name. It's a prayer from a different source. It's, it's a different mind. Your doubt, your, your doubting is excluded because you are excluded when you pray in that name. You understand what I mean by that? And that's why the, the prayer of faith is effectual, uh, James says. Praying in faith is, is not trying to force yourself to expect a certain outcome. That's ridiculous. Who, who, who do we think God is? I mean, that that would be something that he'd, he'd be looking for. Okay, and I, I know I heard you ask that, but, but I haven't yet seen you force yourself to expect a certain outcome. When I see that, I'll give it to you. Praying in faith has to do with living in and seeing and expecting what God, and expecting an experience of what God has given you in Christ. And I'll talk more about that in a minute, but I just want to make sure at this point that we understand the, the necessity of releasing our ideas about prayer, releasing our name, giving it to the cross, allowing the cross to to have uh, an inroad into our heart in such a way that, that prayer can be defined to us according to another name. Defined by another name. For most of my life, I, I said last week, prayer served two functions. Uh, the first function was, was my attempt to, to move God's hand in, in a way that benefited me as an individual. Uh, it was kind of like a Christian version of a genie in a lamp. And that's kind of a crude way to talk about it, but that's really what it was. Uh, the other function of prayer was probably more important to me, 
uh, and that was the way it made me feel about myself. Whether or not my prayers were answered, I wanted to be a man of prayer. More honestly, I wanted to be known as a man of prayer. And even if God never answered a single one of my prayers for much of my life, uh, I'm ashamed to admit that I would have been quite content simply to be known as a man of prayer. That would have been just fine. Pathetic, embarrassing, but true. And that's, that's how we are. And I'm admitting my motives so that you will realize your own. I'm not just trying to embarrass myself. I'm, I'm uncovering myself so that you won't be ashamed to uncover your heart. It's the same, it's the same thing. It's the same way. Let's just face it together. You know, we, we've prayed in our own name. It's a fact. Let's, let's accept it. We've prayed from our own life and for our own life and purpose and will and gain. We've used an imaginary version of prayer to better ourselves rather than the gift of prayer to participate in the eternal purpose of God in Christ. And I'm okay saying that about myself. Honestly, these days, I don't have any other expectations of myself except to do stuff like this. So, so uh, that's just what I am. That's, just, that's not just what I do, that's what I am. That's what I always am. Apart from Him, that's what I always am. But see, prayer was not that way with Paul. I, I concluded last week by saying just some thoughts about what I think prayer was like for the Apostle Paul. And really, for any man or woman who begins to know and abide in the name of the Lord. Um, I believe that prayer for Paul was something similar to breathing. Spiritual breathing. I believe that the weight and reality of God's finished work in Christ pressed in upon Paul's soul. And I believe that he was a man that became constrained by the truth, crushed under the weight of the truth. Have you ever felt that, uh, that way in, 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 the, in moments of, of great light, in moments of great awareness? almost crushed by the weight of the truth in such a way that almost anything that came out of you would be reflective of that truth. Prayer, prayer comes out. Prayer squeezes out of that crushing weight. Uh, prayer that is according to the truth. It, you know, in a world full of Adamic death and, and, and blindness, in a world that's um, choking and, and pollution and smog of our... Uh, enmity with God and fallenness, I think that prayer is how Paul breathed. He breathed in the truth as it is in Christ. He breathed out the mind of the Lord, the reality of Christ, the provision of Christ for, 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 his, for the body, for the heavenly church. Prayer was Paul's constant lifeline of faith. This constant um, process of union and communion with reality, with life, with purpose. It's not just something that Paul did, is what I'm trying to say. Prayer wasn't something that Paul disciplined himself to do. Prayer was something that Christ became in Paul. Paul lived prayer because prayer was Paul's connection by faith to the, to the life and the purpose of God. So, and, and don't misunderstand me when I say things like this. Please don't put... Don't insert our natural definitions of prayer into the things that I am trying to describe. I, again, I, I'm not trying to say that Paul was a mighty man of spiritual discipline. There's no discipline involved in this kind of prayer. This prayer is a prayer of faith, a prayer of true seeing, 
a prayer that is constrained by the eyes of God. You know, if you had a child uh, that was, or, or a loved one, or whatever you can imagine, that was that was in a, suddenly was in a life-threatening um, situation, just instantly. Maybe a little, a little toddler. I think of Willow, wanders out of sight, and all of a sudden you hear the neighbor screaming, and, and you look, and she's in the middle of the busy road. Your desire, your will, your prayer for that child is not a matter of discipline. You don't need to force yourself to sit down and, and have a 15-minute prayer meeting. The desire, the burden, the, the purpose that works in your heart are given to you by the awareness of the situation. Reality constrains your will. Reality defines your desire. And that's a natural example, but, but in that natural example is the shadow of, of something spiritual shadow where we can see that reality and truth and perspective creates in us burden, creates in us will, creates in us prayer. So prayer comes from God. And you know we're, we're accustomed to thinking of God as the recipient of prayer, but he's also the author of, of prayer. He's the source, he's the means, he's the recipient, and he is the response. God is all things of prayer. We're usually you know, used to thinking of ourselves as the source and our words are the means and God's the recipient, but then stuff is the response. You know, things are the provision. We have one out of the four correct, but God is all four. And of utmost importance right now to what I'm talking about, Christ is the source and the life of our prayer. You know, it's this way with every single thing in Christianity. Christ is your life. Do you understand? And I know, I know you, I know you do. But look at it again. Christ is your life. What are you going to add in the way of prayer or anything? Everything that we do as Christians must be some sort of, of a functional expression of the indwelling Jesus Christ. That's that's what Christianity is. That's the He is the true mind that works in us, the nature that must work in us, the will that must work in us, the ministry that must work in us. Of course, prayer isn't going to be anything different. Nothing spiritual is from you. Do you understand that? Nothing spiritual is from you. I know that sounds so incredibly simple, but it's overlooked and completely ignored by almost everybody. You are the source of nothing spiritually speaking, and therefore nothing spiritual, spiritually real or valuable. Can, can, you, can you handle that? Can you handle me telling you that? I mean, what does that, what does that do? Does that, does that make your, you know, your hair stand up on the back of your neck? Are you mad? I mean, what, what, what's your response to that? It's true whether you can handle it or not. I'm still going to say it. Christ is made unto you all things spiritual. I can do I can do a number of things as a natural man in a natural planet. Some of them I can do oh, pretty good. You know, I'm I'm, I'm a decent uh, uh, ping pong player, as some of you know. Uh, but 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 I can do absolutely nothing spiritual whatsoever. I can't do anything spiritual well. I can't do anything spiritual poorly. I can't do anything. Apart from him, I can do nothing. Nothing good, nothing relevant, nothing nothing important, nothing meaningful, nothing that has any purpose. Apart from him, I am complete and utter vanity. 
everything under the sun, everything under the sun points to something meaningful. Everything under the sun is an arrow that points to something real. And yet everything under the sun, and when I say that I mean everything created, has absolutely no significance or capability or purpose in itself. It's perfectly useless. Everything under the sun is van see, vanity. Solomon saw this. You understand? Solomon understood this. He wrote about this. Unfortunately for Solomon, even though he saw it, he turned his heart back to the vanity that he saw. But I'm trying to say something about prayer here. It's, but, but it's bigger than prayer. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to talk about the vanity of you and I. Can you accept that everything under the sun is vanity? That you and your world are perfectly irrelevant to all things spiritual unless and until Christ himself is the source and life and function and reality and purpose of all things. See, I just offended Ben. What I'm saying that for is that prayer doesn't really begin until you can accept this. Remember last week when I said that I thought that prayer when I threw everything away at the, at the foot of the cross and said, God, kill it all and start giving me back whatever I'm able to see of your son. I thought that prayer would be one of the first things back. But there was much that started coming back before prayer even came into view at all. Because prayer doesn't really begin until you begin to accept your end and see your end. Until we, until we see that, prayer is going to always be something of your own name and of your own world. But we have been given the gift of prayer. The gift of prayer is part of our relationship with God and Christ. We, 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 we may not know, you may not know how to avail yourself of that gift, but you have it. Because it's not something separate from Christ. It is the Spirit of Christ, He who is our life, operating in us according to His will, operating in us according to His mind and His name. And there's nothing that is prayed in Christ's name that is not granted because Christ perfectly represents, embodies the will of the Father. That's why Jesus says in John uh, 15, 7, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's the same thing that James says things similar to that in, about the prayer of faith and how the man praying and not doubting and and, and, and we, again, we attach our own definitions to those words, but it's the same thing. Jesus says in, in John 14 through 16 several times, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. But we don't understand the name part. We just kind of read over that really quickly. We just think, whatever you ask, that will I do. Whatever I ask, whatever you ask in my name. It's the same thing that Paul is mentioning in our verse for today, Ephesians 6.18. 6, he says, In all prayer and petition, in the Spirit. In the Spirit. Jude mentions the same thing, praying in the Spirit. Another place in James calls it praying according to the will of God. Um, and all of that is just to say that the Lord is the author of prayer. But I also want to say a few things today about the answer to prayer. In, in my heart, I started to see 
Christ as the source of prayer before I started to comprehend Christ as the answer to all prayer. But he's both. He's the fountain of all prayers that are offered in his name, and he is the supply by which all prayers have their answer. Um, a year or two ago, I was reading this article by uh, a guy named James Fowler, who I've mentioned uh, before a couple times in some of uh, the teachings. He's a good. He's got a website called ChristInYou.com, and uh, he's a he's a he's a man with some understanding. And he was writing an article about prayer, um, and he and he made this statement. And I remember at the time it hit me. Uh, in a uh, in a in a really real way, and I knew that it would come back around, and 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 uh, I would be thinking about it uh, many more times, and, and and that was in fact what happened. He said, "This is the statement." He says, "The answer to our prayers will be but the manner in which God wants to apply the life of Jesus Christ." And he says, he goes on to say, the complete vision of, uh, provision of God for man is in Christ. God has nothing more to give than what he has given in Jesus Christ. And then he quotes from this theologian, Karl Barth, who uh, I don't know exactly, I'm, I'm not recommending all of the works of uh, Barth, but, but he has this statement here in, in, his, in his book, uh, his famous um, theology book, Church Dogmatics. He says this, what does the Christian not have what can he possibly lack when he has him, Christ? What can disturb or hinder or confuse or devastate him in life as a Christian when he can live with him in communion with him? What need is not already met in him? What difficulty is not already removed in him? What help is not already present in him? What word of comfort that he needs is not already spoken in him? What direction that he awaits is not already given in him. In him, the Christian has already attained. He is already at the goal. And he can look back and down upon all his distress as already alleviated. And yet the Christian has not yet realized in what fullness the divine gift and answer is already present and near to hand. And with what joy he can avail himself of it and with what thankfulness he can acknowledge the fact. What both of these guys are saying is quite simply that when God answers your prayer, He is showing you a greater view of His Son. When God answers your prayer, He is bringing into your experience, into your view, into your what you call your life, a greater apprehension of Christ. Our true needs, our, our, our real, I mean the true needs, are born the things that we actually need. And we, we look to God for them. Those needs are born from our blindness and deadness as to what God has supplied in Christ. And the true answers to those needs are found in the heart's apprehension and the soul's experience of what God has supplied for us in His Son. There's nothing outside of Christ that God has given you or that God could give you. And with a clear view, with, a, with, with real light, there's nothing outside of Christ that you would ever think to ask for. Never. We think that, you know, we're so deceived even about what we want. 
we, we think that we, we want good things, but whenever we see clearly, what we really want is to experience the one to whom all good natural things point. We think we want to be accepted in our flesh, but with any light, with any clarity at all, we would... See, that, that view completely disappears, and we just want to be found in Him. We just want to be accepted in Him. We think we want to have purpose for our lives, but in the light, that disappears, and, and, and something far greater than an individual earthly purpose comes into view. The eternal purpose of God that I have been brought into. We think that we, we're having a problem, but a true view of Him does something better than fix our problem. A true view of Him removes us from it. And I'm not suggesting to you that God never tends to our natural needs and, 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 or at times assists in natural circumstances. But see, even those things, in my view, even those things, what God is giving us there is something of the overflow of what Christ is. If a body is healed, it is healed by the life of Christ overflowing into the earth. If a circumstance is changed, it's changed by bringing Christ into a circumstance. Christ's perspective something that God has provided in His Son, Christ's power, something like that. Listen to how Paul describes uh, prayer for his deliverance in Philippians 1.19. He says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's just an interesting verse to me. Here's what I'm saying. God has given you all things in His Son. There's nothing else that you have need of. Let me just take a minute. I want to look at a verse here in Romans. If you have your Bible, you can turn to it. Romans 8.32. It's a, it's a verse that's often mis, mistranslated or slightly mistranslated, or if not mistranslated, at least misquoted and misunderstood. This is how it usually reads. Um, it says, He, Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, we do a couple of, of sad and wacky things with this verse. First of all, we, tra we translate or interpret the word will as a future event instead of a present emphatic statement. In other words, any, any Greek grammar, it's the same thing in English. It's the same thing in Spanish. If you, if you, if you look at your child who just got out of bed at night for like the tenth time and you say to, to your child, you will go to bed right now. The child is not hearing a future possibility. You know what I'm saying? He knows you mean right now. Or if, you, or if, or if I say, I just bought a... a, a, a no, if, if you say, if you just bought a, a new computer, you will have Windows Vista installed on it. It's, it's, it's something... That's not something that might happen in the future. It's simply an emphatic now statement. It's the same thing in, in any language that I'm familiar with, at least. And that's Paul's point here. He's saying something like this. Look, if you have a brand new PC, how will you not also have all the software that comes with it? Okay. Look, if God has not spared his only son, but has in fact given you that son, how, how will he not also with him graciously give you all things? You see what he's saying? It's more, it's more clear in the Greek. This is a literal translation. Surely he who spares not his only son, but gives him, for all of us, gives him for us all, how shall he not, united with him, also be gracing us all things? 
And so what we usually do with that is either we make the, the all things some sort of a future experience or we make the all things something separate from Christ. Like we're saying, God will give us Christ and he'll also give you a brand new car. Like if God, if God gave you Jesus, I mean, he, he never would withhold from you an iPhone, you know, or, or something like that. But the reason I'm making a big deal about this verse is because it has everything to do with prayer. God has given us all things in Christ as Christ. In Christ and as Christ. The all things. You know, God has made Christ. First Corinthians 1.30 Christ has been made unto you wisdom and righteousness and redemption and sanctification. Every promise is yes and amen in Him. Every blessing, Paul says, is ours in Him, as Him. God did not give you Christ so that now through Christ you can ask for something else. God gave you Christ because provided in Christ and provided as Christ is every single thing that God could give to the human soul. And in a very real sense, prayer becomes our accessing of what God has given us in Christ. Now, this part here is a bit new to me, and it's, it's, uh, it's therefore a little bit difficult for me to describe. But, but I've come to see prayer as sort of the way by which we take what God offers. God is offering the person and provision and, and position of Christ. God offers us... Not, not, there, there's plenty of ways to misunderstand what I'm, I'm saying, so try not to do that. But um, God is, is offering us this constant, permanent extension of himself to our soul in, in his Son, as his Son. He offers us all that Christ is and has. has. And you know... You know, I'm not talking about us becoming Christ or becoming divine or any of that wacky stuff. I'm just talking about God God first brings us into His Son and then He permanently extends to us this ongoing and ever-increasing experience of Jesus Christ. And prayer accepts this offer. Not... Not praying. Not, you know, when you again, when you hear me say, when you hear me say uh, prayer here, please again, don't insert our old understanding of prayer. We're not talking about, we're not talking about something you do with your mouth and words. I'm talking about a living union and communion with God that is led, that is that comes by His Spirit and is according to His mind. I'm talking about our hearts turning to see Him, turning to Him. Seeing, receiving, petitioning, watching, according to his view, according to his light. I see faith as a part of prayer. I see, um, you know, we're accustomed here to talking about how faith is that by is that that grace of God by which we access the things that God has freely given to us in Christ. That's Romans five two. By faith we access the grace in which we stand. Well. That's certainly true. But prayer to me is that activity where we turn to faith and hold on to it. In, in, in fact, if I were going to try to describe prayer, uh, these four words come to mind. Turning, seeing, watching, obeying. 
that's not the super. It's not a, a super clear way of saying it, but it's all I have right now. God, God has given us all things in Christ, and so we turn the heart. We turn. We turn to see Him. The turning of the heart. And, and then we, we see, when we see Him, we, we hold on to that view. We watch. You know, when you, when you, when you, um, you know, if there's a movie that, that you like, and you go and see the movie, you don't just walk in and see it and then walk, I mean, just take a glance at it, you, you watch it. You know what I'm saying? You, you fix your gaze, you look. And, and that's, to me, that's, uh, that's what I'm talking about. We, we cling to what faith is seeing. We stay there. We, we obey what faith sees. And I'm not talking about an outward obedience to words and commands. We're not in the Old Covenant. Our obedience is, to, is, is the inward alignment of the soul. Our, our obedience is the inward submission to the truth. It's a yielding of our soul to the indwelling spirit of truth. It, it's a succumbing uh, uh, to His reality. Prayer, prayer connects there. It turns, it connects, it sees, it watches. Prayer is, like a, is the watching of the soul. In, in some ways, it's kind of like, here's another analogy that is weird, but it's like turning on a hose. It, it connects us, prayer connects us by faith to his fountain. Without a hose or a pipe, it's like we can't drink, we don't drink from his provision of Christ. Yeah. Prayer is kind of like a hose out of his realm into ours, into ours by nature, into into the, all these words fail, but. Uh, I'm trying to describe a, a view of, of prayer where God has given and prayer turns and receives and looks and watches. God has given life in His Son. Prayer involves our, our turning on the hose, watching. Watching is how we keep that thing turned on. And you'll notice that in Scripture, very often we're told to be watchful in prayer. It's, it's all over the New Testament. It's even in this verse in Ephesians 6.18. Keep watch, therefore, in prayer. Uh, and, and I think it, it, you know, it's because we don't really know what prayer is that we don't understand the word watch in respect to prayer. We wonder, what am I watching for? You know, keep watch in prayer. You know, is something about to happen? It, but Paul tells us to be watchful in prayer and... and uh, <clears throat> and, and the church, we assume that he's talking about a physical, natural event or something that's coming around the corner. You know, keep watch. Okay, well, what does that mean? Am I supposed to look out the window while I'm praying? Or how, how does this work? And, and if Paul is talking about a watchfulness for the end of the world or, or for eschatological events, then what about the last 2,000 years of, of Christians who have read these verses? Apparently, they were watchful to, to, no, uh, to no avail. You know, they're... There was nothing for them to watch. We're the only generation that's supposed to watch for these physical things that are supposed to happen in our prayer. It doesn't make sense. You know, and then when we're dead, then our kids are going to say, well, I guess they weren't the generation that was supposed to be watching. We are. No, we're not watching for physical, natural things. If there is a true, a real prayer, a prayer of turning and seeing, then watching suddenly makes a great deal of sense. 
You know, you turn to the TV, it's not on, watching doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You turn to the TV and it is on, and you can see, and there is light. Then watching involves remaining in that view. Consistently positioning yourself in front of the TV. And we're all really good at this in the natural. <laughs> watching involves holding tightly to the light, turning, seeing, and staying. That's what prayer was to Paul. He stayed in prayer. Paul says things, uh, I never cease praying for you or, or pray without ceasing. Uh, and, and, he, and he says, be alert, be sober, be watchful, because you know. In one place he says, you know that your enemy prowls around. In another place, you know, he says that the, the deceitfulness of the lusts of the world, whatever, you were watchful in prayer because, because the world, the flesh, the devil, whatever, is, 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 is like gravity to our soul. It, 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 our, it pulls our, on the natural mind. It pulls your attention, your view, your awareness back to the earth. They, they have that effect on the heart. Turning, you understand, if we're not watchful, if we aren't watching in prayer, it's not long bef before prayer in, her, in His name turns back into prayer in our own. Living in His name. Doing all things, that verse we read from Colossians. Whatever you do and in word and in deed, do all things in the name of Jesus Christ. It's so quick if we're not watchful, sober, alert in prayer that, uh, that the, the gravitational pull of our natural birth, our natural land and residence, citizenship, has the effect on our heart. Um, Another place, Peter's talking about um, relationships with, between husbands and wives. And he's talking about um, certain things. And he says, do this so that your prayers are not hindered. And that, we've done weird things with that. You know, like be nice to your wife or God's not going to hear your prayer. No, he's talking about relating in, in the earth in such a way that your, your heart is not taken from watching, from prayer. Um, anyway, uh, that, that's, that's more or less how I am seeing prayer now. It's from the Lord. Prayer comes from the Lord. The response to prayer is the Lord, a greater view of the Lord. And, in, and it becomes an activity, prayer that is, becomes an activity in our heart of turning and seeing and watching staying in a view where all things that God has given in Christ become the continual answer to our prayers, both for ourselves and for those in the Lord's body or for any, for anything. And I, I, um, I need to wrap up here, but I said last week, um, I was planning on saying some things about the Lord's prayer I have here in the notes. Um, because uh, Jimmy asked that question last week uh, about the Lord's Prayer. And we can maybe talk about this more in the groups this week or maybe next Sunday when I share. But let me just say a couple things um, just for the record. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, um, the Lord, first of all, the Lord's Prayer was given to Old Covenant Israel. It was taught to the disciples before the cross 
before the new covenant. And, and in saying that, I'm not saying it's obsolete. I'm not dismissing it by any, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm simply saying that it has been fulfilled. And, and, and what I mean by that is that it is given to us in the language of type and shadow as everything of the old covenant was. Natural provision, natural covenant, natural illustrations of our relatedness to God. Um, and, and, and it is like everything else. It's fulfilled in spirit and truth. Jesus teaches them. They ask, how, how are we supposed to pray? And Jesus teaches them to pray according to what Jesus knows their need to be and according to what God's provision and desire is. And, and what I'm saying is that now in the New Covenant, God's desire... Uh, let me put it this way. Our need is greater and God's provision is greater. The covenant is greater. In the Old Covenant, they were relating to God according to a natural kingdom in the earth. They were an old heaven and earth. Uh, a daily bread that, and provision for natural Israel in a natural land. And sometimes that provision was given through manna falling from the sky and other times it was the, the, the yield of the land that they were living in. But God gave that daily provision, that daily bread, part of the covenant. It was natural. The forgiveness that God had established with old covenant Israel was according to types and shadows. It was a daily forgiveness that was based on offerings and sacrifices and things that represented Christ. These are the elements of the Lord's Prayer. This is what Jesus, he runs them through some of these elements. But now in Christ, all of these aspects of this prayer have, have become far greater provisions of God through Christ, far greater needs of the soul to be met in Christ. In other words, he has established his kingdom, the kingdom that is made without hands. And, 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 and when we're praying for that kingdom to come as it is in on earth as it is in heaven, we're not, we're not praying for the physical type and shadow of that we saw that we saw in Solomon's day. We're praying for, this, for the kingdom that Jesus said is, don't look around for it, it's within you. Let it be here in earth as it is in the heavens. Um, the, and, and in fact, there is a new heavens and a new earth in Christ where, where we have come to dwell in him. But beyond that, he is the bread, the daily bread. He says that of himself. He offers himself to us in that way. Um, the, the, the provision for your, your covenant. Uh, it's in his blood that we have forgiveness, both, both forgiveness with God and with one another through his death. It's not, we don't bring things to the altar anymore. It's not a daily forgiveness in types and shadows. It's a daily forgiveness uh, that is provided in the death of Christ. And, and I, I mean, you know, you could, we could walk through the, that, the Lord's Prayer verse by verse, but my point is simply that the Lord's Prayer is still a wonderful prayer. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, but it's wonderful not, not simply as a pattern for our words. And that's usually what we do. You know, here's how you're supposed to pray. And what we either do is we repeat the prayer exactly and think that we're being spiritual or we, we break it down into like, I've seen this so many different ways, we break it down into like thematic elements and like insert your various things into there. Like first you praise him, hallowed be your name, you know, God, you are something. And then, you know, okay, I did that part. And then, you know, then you do that. And, and 
that's just goofiness personified. Is it's religion? I mean, it's just there are elements of this prayer, but all of those elements are something that God gives us in and as the person of Christ. All things that we need, all things that we must be turning and looking for and seeing and receiving in Him as Him, but but not just. Um, it's not like a recipe for appropriate communication with God. Um, I'll just read this last sentence. It, it, it points us, the Lord's Prayer points us to a variety of ways that we need Christ to be God's provision for the soul. That kingdom, that bread, that relationship, that forgiveness, that, those kind of things. Amen. Let's pray.